0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the the Disability Study Podcast in New Books Network. I'm Shu Wan, the uh, the co-host and one of the founding editors of our Disability Study channel. So for some of you guys just first time listening to our channel, I want to briefly introduce our channel. Um, this channel is just founded a few months ago in the mid-20, sorry, 2022. It's the first uh, disability-themed channel, disability studies-themed channel in the New Book Network. So next thing, I want to just introduce both myself and our guest. So my name is Xu I'm a PhD student in history at the University at Buffalo. My research involves history of deafness and disability, in china in the early 20th century so i'm i'm honored to invite the professor yoshiko okuyama to come to our, <coughs> our podcast podcast to introduce her book her recent book reframing disability manga so professor okuyama she is um uh, now she's currently she is a professor in this, in japanese study at the university of hawaii she is a big name in the field in the field of disability studies and Japanese Japanese culture, especially Japanese popular culture study. So let's let Professor um, Yukuyama may briefly introduce herself. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you. This is my pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. My name is Yoshiko Kuyama. I'm a professor of Japanese studies at the University of Hawaii at Hilo. The courses I teach include Gender and Disability in Manga, which is the basis of my book, Reframing Disability in Manga. And this book came out in 2020 by the University of Hawaii Press. Um, I've been teaching for 24 years at this university. And originally I was born and raised in Japan, and I immigrated to the United States at age 28. And time flies, and I have a family member with a disability, so that is my personal connection to disability studies.
0: Okay, thank you so much. So, thank you so much, Professor Yokoyama. So, my first question will be Well, I think you partially answered this question. Like, uh, um, uh, that's uh, what the reason you began to take interest in disability study? I think it's a uh, this question always asked by people, to scholars or students in, the, in this field.
1: All right, yeah. So I mentioned that personal reason, but that's not actually how I began my research in disability studies. So by professional training, I'm a linguist, applied linguist. And one day I encountered this fabulous book called Talking Hands written by a New York Times uh, journalist. And it came out, I think, uh, 2008. And this book is about that uh, tight knit Bedouin community in the desert of Israel. And in this, uh, in this village, you know, the, um, the birth rate of deafness is very high. So everybody, uh, including hearing people, Science in the community—that was fascinating. So that's really inspired me to start researching on uh, deaf studies. And then, uh, so uh, from 2019—I mean, sorry, 2009—I started in investigating deaf used texting behaviors. And then I kept publishing on that topic up until like 2015. And around 2015, I had this desire to go beyond deaf studies to explore more the wider range of disability issues. So um, fortunately, I had this fellowship from the Japan Foundation in 2016 to launch a book project. So I went to Japan for field work in 2017, and while writing my manuscript for this book, I was fortunate to be included in NEH, uh, National Endowment for Humanities, NEH uh, Summer Institute on Global Histories of Disability. And that experience really helped shape this book. And I'm so glad that this book, Reframing Disability in Manga, came out in 2020 because that's a very memorable year to me. It's the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And let me just uh, add quickly, why manga, right? Well, personally, I really love manga. And growing up, I wanted to be a manga artist. Well I never had a chance to explore that area myself but professionally I strongly believe that manga is a mass media outlet that is highly accessible and popular not only in Japan but also the United States so it can be if done quite well it can be uh, it can alter negative perceptions of disability to positive one that's what I believe so that's why
0: <laughs> disability and manga. <laughs> Thank you so much, Professor Yukuyama. Oh, I really appreciate your story about how did you enter the field of the promising field of disability studies, and uh, launch this fantastic project of a representation of disability in mangas. So let's switch to your book. So my first question is the, about your book. After reading your fantastic book, is that uh, um, what um what I want what I want to I want you may talk about you may introduce like what's the contrast and the similarity between the perception of disability in your US and Japan because I think most uh, audience of our podcast they may live in US, they are not familiar with the situation or perception or representation of disability in Asia, especially in Japan
1: yeah very interesting question so let me begin by pointing out that disability is an international theme right it's borderless so there are shared and common issues such as stigma uh, dep- uh discrimination poverty and equity and accessibility issues right? well of course there are more but these are similarity. Right. And then, say, having said that, now let me point out three differences. So, one of the differences is the Japanese unique idea of Fukugo metonymy. So, Fukugo literally means lucky child. This metonymy is a signifier for a positive connection between disability and commerce, commercial success. So, for example, in Japan, there is this popular, you know, iconic uh, image of Fukusuke. Fukusuke usually comes in a porcelain doll in the shape of a smiling young man with an uh, kind of oversized head and short torso. So uh, it's kind of a a depiction of a figure with short-limbed dwarfism. Anyway, so according to the, uh, the legend of Fukusuke, during the feudal time of Japan, there was this very popular entertainer named Fusuke, Mister Lucky, and Mister Lucky, Fusuke, goes from uh, town to town uh, with other entertaining, you know, performers. And then one day, a child of a uh, well, uh, the child of a uh, wealthy merchant spotted him, and he wanted to Fukusuke as his companion. So he begged his father to to adopt Fukusuke. So Fukusuke worked for this family and eventually became independent and owned his own business and became a uh, very successful businessman. Right? So that's just one I- image of, um, you know, the Fukugo There are other uh, cultural symbolisms. As well, right? So, that's Fukugou metonymy is one of the, the unique uh, Japanese ideas about uh, the disability, right? And another thing it's just polar opposite. Uh, so, that is karma. In Japanese, it's inga, right? So, you know, um, as you know, during the medieval Japan, uh, Buddhism was the central force of uh, moral teaching, right? So, according to this theory of karma, one's action results in consequences. So, for example, good deeds are rewarded in this or next life. And if you engage in evil acts, you will be punished in this or next life, and so forth, right? So, it's kind of a religious guilt trip in a sense. But because of this idea of the negative idea of disability, right? Um, people uh, have, a, you know, a very um, disturbing ideas about people with disabilities in Japan. And this idea of karma still um, kind of once in a while lifts its ugly head in public discourse people's thinking and family uh, conversations and so forth. So it's an old idea, but still exists in Japanese society. And the third difference would be uh, the term disability in Japanese. So in Japanese, unlike English term disability or non-ability, uh, Japanese word for disability is shōgai. And shou means interference. And gai is damage or harm right so this word shogai, can be interpreted two different ways so one is uh, harm in your, to, to your body so your your harm interferes with your well-being the other interpretation or implication would be uh, your damage your damage to your body interferes others with others well-being or society's well-being and this second Interpretation is a very problematic one, right? So there are uh, these are just ex- a few examples, but yeah, uh, yeah, those are just um, the, something I came up to me.
0: Oh, Professor Ukushima, thanks so much sir, for your <clears throat> discussion of three very big difference in the perception of representation of disability in the U.S. in Japan, and I won't say not only U.S. but in the West. And I really appreciate you provide some very interesting examples. And I I mentioned like I'm also I want to say I'm not a scholar but disability students. So I also because I study like Chinese disability disability in China. I also I totally agree with you like the perception or understanding of disability and deafness in Asia is quite different from the U.S. or, or general sense the West. So my next question will be, could you please, after talking about the difference, I mean, different understanding of disability in U.S. and Japan, how about what's what's the difference between the representation of disability in American comics and the Japanese mangas?
1: Alright, so this is another interesting story, I mean, question. So, uh, according to research, characters with disabilities are typically cast in three ways, three major ways. There are, of course, other ways, but yeah, let me focus on these three. So, first one is Super Crypt. And super creep by definition is uh, the character with a disability, who has superhuman abilities like flying, right, or being able to see something the sighted people cannot see, and so forth, right. And the second uh, major role is a deformed villain or evil avenger, such as you know, uh, Caesar, uh, the Edward Scissorhands, in a popular American comics, right. And then the third one is the pitiable figures, in other words, the object of pity, right? So in Japanese manga, as well as in the US comics, all these uh, roles typically appear. Right, but uh, there the differences are in degree. So, having said that, let's move on to the differences. So, one of the differences is in the category of the super creep. Right, in U.S. comics there is a genre called superhero comics. In Japan, we don't have the equivalent. In Japanese manga, I mean Japanese comics, right? So uh, in the United States, we have like a Mad uh, Mad in Daredevil or Batgirl Bat Girl or um, X X Men's uh, Professor X and so forth. Those are famous examples of super creep, right? Uh, in Japan, we do have some uh, figures such as Zatoichi, the blind masseur. And re- more recently, uh, Nick in Gangster, manga named Gangster, he is a deaf assassin, right? But the number of these fight, crime fighters with a disability, it's very limited in Jap- uh, Japanese comics, right? So where do you see, uh, you know, uh, those super creep type figures in, in manga? Well, that would be in the genre of uh, sports manga. So in sports manga, you see uh, disabled athletes, yeah, with human, almost you know, subhuman abilities and so forth, right? Yeah, so that's the difference, right? So the super, uh, the uh, superhero versus you know sports manga. And then second uh, difference is uh, in in terms of the deformed villain or evil avenger. Second difference is like you know, typically. Uh, super villains such as the Joker and Two Face are, you know, in these the superhero comic stories. But again, since we don't have that category, yeah, we don't have many of these, you know, super v- villains in manga. However, majority of uh, you know uh, disabled figures. Uh, Up until 1990s, majority of them were cast in that category of pitiable figures, unfortunately. Why 1990s? Well, that's the time. That's the period when you started to see more accurate representation of people, characters with a disability in manga. So that's just shifted the perception, uh, you know, greatly at the time, right? And the third thing I would like to comment as a difference is what kind of relates to the first point of the Super creep, right? Because we have this uh, genre, uh, sports manga. And uh, so prior to the 2020 Paralympics, The Japanese manga publishers launched on a series of, I mean, you know, uh, several uh, uh, sports manga that featured uh, the disability, I mean, uh, the Paralympic type of sports. So one of them is Bukuro Kicks. That is about the blind sucker. And the other one is Blade Girl. Uh, that, that is a story featuring a female runner with a prosthetic leg, you know, so-called blade, right? And then the, another one is a murder ball, uh, which is a story about the female wheelchair rugby, right? So there are more. So these uh, just popped up prior, to just a few years, uh, in, a, in the anticipation of the 2020 Paralympics. But it ended, when the Paralympic was over in 2021, so it might be just a blink in manga history, but nonetheless, you know that is the difference. And then in 2025, Japan is uh, hosting uh, the Olympics. so there might be separate new manga stories featuring deaf athletes yeah, throughout that uh, goal. Yeah. Oh,
0: All thank right. you so much. I'm sorry. Thank you so much, Professor Fukuyama. I, w- I really appreciate your discussion not only about the difference and similarity between of a dis- sorry of a representation of disability in both Japanese mangas and the American comics. And I noticed that you emphasize like the history historical change in the representation. Of disability uh, representation of disability in in Amer- both American mar- comics and the Japanese manga, and the one thing I noticed, another thing I noticed is, is that because we know, I think some of you, our audience, also some of our audience who are scholar in the disability field, much familiar with a concept called social model of disability. I think your discussion reflects, the, the I the, I won't say the this kind of theory, I want to say, or this kind of understanding of disability. So in this so I wanna say, because I noticed that you mentioned like a big social change in Japan, how in how the big change in the Japanese society impact the representation of, of perception of disability in manga. So and the next thing I want to talk about, I want to introduce you uh, sorry, I want to invite you to talk about is that uh, it's about some concrete types of disability for example physical disabilities i noticed that in your introduction you mentioned like you also do some research uh, in the field of gender studies and i can notice like you how you know, your research interested in uh in gender study um take first, i want to say i mean take interaction with your book about disability studies. So in one chapter of the book, I, I noticed that you talk about uh, the interaction or interplay between physical disability and the masculinity in the case of a wheelchair rider. So could you please briefly talk about that?
1: Yes, yeah, you are right. So in chapter four, I focus on the, the, the aspect of masculinity in the context of disabilities, right? So let me start with a traditional view of masculinity. So traditionally, masculinity, mas, masculine power is associated with, quote unquote, perfect body, right? It, it is so strongly associated with that, that any imperfect, quote unquote, imperfect body is considered reduced masculine power, right? So that's an idea behind it, right? But in the genre of sports manga, um, characters who are cast as disabled athletes try to counteract that idea. So one of the books I analyzed in that chapter is Real. Real is a manga about male wheelchair basketball players. So that has uh, two paraplegic protagonists, paraplegic protagonists, Togawa and Takashi. And they are embodiment of physical prowess, right? And so in that manga, uh, first, real uh, revealed negative stereotypes of wheelchair men as weaklings. Right. So it's good that that manga exposes the ugly perception that society has. Right. And so to counteract that perception of diminished masculinity, they put emphasis on hyper masculinity, making Togawa or Takahashi really fast, you know, moving in a wheelchair or, you know, determined and aggressive and so forth. So here is my criticism, right? Well, it's good to demonstrate athletic prowess, especially in the genre of sports manga, right? But overemphasizing athleticism, it can be problematic because sports is not for everyone, right? So I believe that diversity in casting disabled character, and in you know, not only in sports manga but also in other genres, right? It's very important. So we should have not only the super creep type of, uh, you know, strong athletes, right? But also ordinary everyday denizen with a disability and show that shed lights on um, real life issues and needs of a disability community. That's what I believe.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Professor. Um, I very appreciate your critique of the representation of the physical disability in those mangas. So after talking about physical disability, my next question may involve some sensory disability. So I want to invite you to talk a little bit about like uh, the marginalization of blind people in manga
1: yeah okay, so speaking of the manga that features uh, people with visual inf- impairment is um, actually I, in- I ran into uh, this fabulous manga that I would like to mention. <laughs> it's called Yankee Kunto Hakujo Garu. So in English it will be translated as a, like a juvenile delinquent and a blind girl. So this Yankee-kun and Hakujogaru and also three manga stories I analyzed in Chapter 5, all featured, you know, all show how socially marginalized blind people are in three major reasons. So one of them is lack of accessibility, especially public transportation. The the other one is difficulty of, of employment and staying employed. The third reason is media inaccessibility. So let me elaborate on each one. So first one, uh, in terms of the the lack of accessibility. So in Japan, uh, restaurants are notoriously inaccessible to blind people, and not only just blind people, of course, uh, you know, physically uh, disabled individuals as well, and is in them, Another example is the sighted. Sighted people tend to put their belongings on tactile pavers, you know, or sometimes walk on them or stand on them, right? The tactile pavers are designed for people with visual impairments to use, not for the sighted. But, you know, sighted people become, in a sense, you know, show guy, the interference to to the blind blind people, right. And another example is, um, you know, people uh, kind of leave bicycles, park bicycle in front of a store, and they can be a real uh, hazard to uh, people with visual impairments they can get tripped over them right so the government the japanese government uh, recently uh, campaigned started a campaign called soft accessibility in which they try to raise social awareness of the needs of the blind in japan right but still to this day uh, people with the visual impairment uh, uh, continue, to, continue to fall onto the train tracks. That's really dangerous. Some people get killed, really. Yeah. And uh, now we have, uh, you know, in major cities, um, we have this, aut- uh, what we call the automatic safety barriers, right? But they are installing them is expensive, very expensive. So they are uh available mainly in big cities such as tokyo kyoto and osaka so if you go out to the regional area you rarely see those barriers right so it's you know if it's dangerous to uh, for the blind people to commute of course they are uh indirectly indirectly uh, marginalized from society right and another uh Cause is a difficulty. Uh, another reason is a difficulty of employment. Uh, so employment issue. Uh, according to some, according to uh, some research, well, blind people tend to be pushed to three typical occupations: masseurs, acupuncturist, and shiatsu therapist. So one study said that close to seventy percent of these jobs are held by the blind. And there are, of course, other jobs available, but not many companies are willing to provide so-called reasonable accommodation to people with uh, visual impairments. So it's really difficult, right? And then third one one is media inaccessibility. And uh, one study said that only six out of 600 new films that came out one year, had voice guidance available so six out of 600 one percent right that's totally unfair to the blind and then another one is um another example is a uh, uh, braille signs uh, uh available on you know product at the store or the vending machines or the uh, the rails of the public transportations right but not all Visually impaired people read braille. So, to some people, uh, to some people with the visual impairment, it's better to see enlarged font than braille itself. And then another example is manga. Manga used to be very, you know, inaccessible to, to totally inaccessible to the to the blind. But good news is, right during the pandemic. I noticed this uh, voice, the new form of manga called voice comics became popular. So now audio version of some famous uh, popular manga and including that the manga I mentioned Yankee Kun to Hakujou-garu, are now available in in audio format. So the uh, people with visual impairments can listen to those mangas. Yeah, so finally.
0: Okay, thank you so much. I very appreciate, Professor Yukima, I very appreciate you discussion of, I want to say, the representation of visual impairment, uh, representation of people with visual impairments and disability. And you also talk about, uh, I want to say, the situation, the real situation of blind people in Japanese society. So another, I want to say, another disabled group taking my notice when I read your book is uh, the autistic community. And, and the one thing I noticed is that you emphasize the diversity in the representation of this group and I mean both autism and the autistic community. So could you please talk about like, how diverse the representation
1: Okay. Is? Mm-hmm. So, in chapter two, six, chapter six, I emphasize the diversity of uh, autism and, uh, represented in manga, right? Uh, so, autism, or well, more accurately, autism spectrum disorder, ASD, has a wide, wide range of conditions within the spectrum. So, in Japanese, autism is jihesho, um literally self shut disorder. So, this word jiheisho, does not capture the whole range of phenotypes in ASD, right? And, uh, you know, many people associate uh, autism with uh, Raymond in the famous movie Rain Man, right? But this savant image is just a one one type, you know, subtype, subgroup of ASD, ASD. And then recently, there is this popular Korean TV sh- drama, called Uyon Bengosh Tensai Hada, So in English, um lawyer Uyon is a is a genius. And this story, this TV drama is about the the female lawyer with high functioning autism. But again, this is just a, you know one subtype of ASD. So my point is no single film, T V drama or even manga can capture the diversity of ASD. So therefore, in that chapter, I presented three very different manga titles. And one of them is Pro Chichi, Professional Dad. And the other one is With the Light. And then third one is Can I Quit Being a Mom? Right. So the first one is about Stay Home Dad, Nao. And Nao has a problem. So Soko uh, in Japanese, KT, Kuki Ga Yomenai inability to read the atmosphere. So he has Asperger, Asperger's syndrome, right? And that creates, you know, really uh, communication issues with other people. And anyhow, in that, in analyzing that book, I briefly discussed the history of Hans Asperger and uh, Lorna Wing. And then on the second example of the manga is uh, With the Light. So this one is about... Uh, a boy with intellectual disability and limited, highly limited communication skills. And that manga really touches upon the importance of community support for the family. And a third one, uh, Can I Quit, uh, Quit Being a Mother? is actually based on a memoir by a mother of an autistic child. So in this story, Takara, um, meaning treasure, Takara was born with Hattatshōgai, uh, developmental dis- disability. Right? So Hattatshōgai is a combination of ADHD, learning disorder, and ASD, or well, sometimes more. And this story is narrated by the mother. So I using this, I use this as an opportunity for me to discuss the theory of refrigerator mother, the notorious one proposed by Bruno bethel in disability history, (laughs) right? So, yeah, so anyway, by presenting all these, uh, you know, wider range of of autistic cases, yeah, I wanted the reader to understand this, uh, you know, different phenotypes. Of this
0: condition. Okay, thank you so much, Professor. <clears throat> I very appreciate your discussion of the, the I mean representation of autism autistic community in manga, trading in Japanese society. And I noticed the one example, maybe the last example you mentioned, it involved like I won't say the interaction between man, I mean motherhood and the disability and it's interesting because I why I say that is because I think it's very interesting. that at the end of this book, you you I mean you switch back. I want to say because you I want to say you talk about I want to say the intersection of gender, disability, and sexuality. So in the case of st- stigmatization of transgender people in manga, so could you please talk about the situation? of transgender people and the representation of land in manga.
1: Okay, all right. So the stigmatization of transgender people in manga, right? So let me start by saying that, well, I want to make clear this point. Well, I'm in no way uh, implying that transgender is a disability. No, no, no. But by including this topic of stigmatization of transgender people represented in manga, I wanted to reveal this particular situation in Japan in which trans use this diagnosis of GID, uh, gender identity disorder or uh, gender dysphoria, as a way of medical legitimacy, right? To de- they use it to their advantage. For example, right? Uh, in order to, uh, you know, reduce the stigmatization, you have to really debank the negative, wrong perception of transgender people in Japan, right? So there are these negative ideas in the first place. Tr- number one is transgenderism is transgression or perverseness or subversiveness, right? And then secondly, the negative perception is, uh, you know, being transgender is a personal choice or even a hobby, like cross-dressing. And third negative and wrong idea is about transgender people is they are workers in nightclubs or even a sleazy, you know, red district Area. So all these negative perceptions of transgender people affect uh, tr- hiring practices and how they do well in school, including in the possibility of being bullied, and their mental health wellness, right? So it's really important to destigmatize their their status in the first place. So they are using uh, transgender people the, themselves, right? Uh, we call it tojisha, right? Tojisha, the very person of the issue. So tojisha themselves are using this gen, uh, medical legitimacy to, uh, to argue for goriteki ha- hairyu, the the reasonable accommodation in school and at work. And also, they use it to assert their rights to legally change their gender in the family registry, and also challenge discrimination cases at work, or sometimes claim some medical expenses, such as uh, you know, uh, sex reassigning uh, the surgery. But most importantly, they use this medical legitimacy to elevate their social status, right? And the, the manga, the, the three manga titles I introduced in chapter seven, um, well, actually, two of them are uh, memoirs. Two of them are um, autobiographical manga. Right? So I hope that with these three, the, um, I, the I hope that uh, readers would understand the serious issues of that the importance of of the needs to elevate their social status in the first place and why they are using their medical legitimacy to, to that end. Right. So all in all, you know, uh, regardless of the, the, the disability uh, area, area of disability, I wanted to say it with, this man- I mean, with this book that Manga is a mass media outlet that is highly accessible and popular as i said before and this can be an agent of change if done properly if we choose the right manga titles especially to alter the negative aspect uh, perspectives of i mean perceptions of disability to positive and more accurate representations
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Professor. I very appreciate your conclusion. Like, okay, manga. Actually, I want to say, I'm, I really want to say, manga is like a mirror, if I understand you, you, your conclusion correctly. The manga is like Japanese manga, it's like a mirror. It's a refract, I mean, the predominance of mainstream society's perception of disability in Japanese society. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. And I also another thing I would appreciate. I mean, at the beginning of your answer to my last question, you say like, okay. I mean, but I want I totally agree with you. Like, uh, as a taking myself example as a disability you no know, scholar but student, I disagree. I agree, in agreement with you. I disagree with the view of the point of viewing transgender. As one kind of disease or disorder, but another thing I want to say, I totally agree with you. Is that like you mentioned, like maybe, maybe at least in those manga, I will to say the medicalization of transgenders still very influential. But I won't say because I come from China, so I won't say even now in China, in Chinese society, the medicalization, uh, medicalization of transgender is still very predominant and influential will point while we, I think, both Professor Kriyama and I, we totally disagree with this kind of view. Yeah, but so thank you so much. So my last thing um, at the end of my episode, I won't say again. As I always say, I highly recommend anybody with interest in Disability study you know, Japanese culture or manga even just, even just a Japanese manga I highly recommend you those people I mentioned both to read to buy a copy of professor's book and read this one and I may say again the title of this book the very amazing book its title is reframing disability manga it's one of I won't say master read book in the Field of Disability Studies and uh, Japanese Cultural Studies. Thank you so much. That's our episode to, to-
1: Thank you very much, Shu. I really appreciate your strong endorsement in my book. Thank you. <laughs>